In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. Hey guys, this is Jim Ramos with Men in the Arena and the author of the book, The Full Capacity Man. What you're about to listen to is a message I gave to a local gathering of men back in 2022. I thought you might like to listen to this even if you weren't at the actual event. And so I hope you enjoy this bonus episode on the Men in the Arena podcast. So guys, we're in this uh, series called The Full Capacity Man. We're talking about this 20 qualifications of a full capacity man from the pastoral epistles. And... I got to tell you, as we go through this thing, these are linked up. Remember the first night I brought the umbrella in, we talked about the blameless land. That's the overarching theme of the 20. Then alongside of it is the man who's the servant putting on the servant's towel. Those things are coupled together. Then we talked about the moderate man, right? Remember we talked about the things you put into your body, right? The things that you put your body into, that's coming on the faithful man. But the things you put into your body and how we need to be moderate because that's coupled with the vigilant man being vigilant, being aware, uh, constantly in a state of yellow, this state of calm awareness of your surroundings. Of the 20, the only thing that is a talent or a skill is the ability to teach. And I'm going to blow a huge hole in what you may think that means in a couple weeks. But this week, we're sharing the other partnership of the 20, which is the peacemaker last week. And this week, and I got to be honest with you guys, this might be my favorite one of the 20. I think you're going to walk away going, this is my favorite. Now, I, I might, I got to confess, tonight, for some of you, this may be really controversial. T tonight's message may really bother you. It may go, because I'm going to take one verse of the Bible that is one of the most misquoted verses in Scripture, and I'm going to, what I believe, expose it against the entire Bible. And so I want you to journey with me in that process. But I got to tell you, um, I've punched two people in my life. When my dad was, when I was a little kid, I was always the biggest kid in the family. Remember my brother's name was Stickman? Not the Hitman, the Stickman. He was little, he was weak. My mom had the measles when she was pregnant with him. I had a little sister who was, you know, little. And my dad, my dad must have been in his late 20s at the time. He said, I'm going to tell you something. I'm a little four-year-old, little four-year-old fat kid. I'm going to tell you something, Jimmy. All my friends call me Jimmy. I'm going to tell you something, son. You don't ever get in a fight. I don't ever want you to fight people. You're a big kid and you're going to hurt somebody. But if anyone ever hurts the ones you love, I don't want you to start a fight, but you better finish it. And so I grew up with that. I punched two boys in my life. I was a little kid. Both of them, one punch down, bleed everywhere. I had to apologize to Ricky Little's dad. I had to go to see Ricky Little's dad. Ricky Little's dad was not little. He was a giant sheriff. He was like seven feet tall. And I punched Ricky Little right in the face. He was wearing a white t-shirt. I was only four years old. I didn't know what to punch. And, he's, and I went to apologize, and his dad's licking his wounds, you know, and he's got blood all over his white t-shirt. It was kind of awesome. But I apologized to Ricky Little. But I'll tell you what, my brother was never picked on again. 
My brother ran my high school when he was a sophomore. And I didn't even know it, but he just told people, do you know who my brother is? Touch me and you die. Because my brother knew that his big bro would protect him to the bitter end. And I did. I protected him all of his life. And I've realized as a Christian man that I think a lot of guys uh, veer away from Christ. And I think they veer away from the church because we're taught something is robbed from us. We're somehow taught that if we actually protect, somehow that's wrong. If we actually have to use force to defend, somehow that's wrong. And I hear that coming out of, I just had lunch with a guy today who's in a denomination who doesn't believe in that stuff at all. And I think sometimes it chases guys away. And so I want to address an issue. And I believe in Solomon's word. He said, in, uh, he said this, there's an appointed time for everything. There's a time for every event under heaven, a time to tear apart, a time to sew together, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. And these words that my dad spoke to me as a four-year-old still ring in my ears. Never start a fight. Finish it. And so what I want to share with you tonight is I believe there's a time. This was given to me in Minnesota. I was in Minnesota at an event a couple months ago, and this was given to me, so I like this. There's a time to use the sword. There's a time to use the shield. And there's a time to get on the cross. And as a protector, I want to help you understand in any situation, is this a time for me to use the sword to bring the hammer? Is this for me a time for me to be the shield, to be the nail? I hate saying that out loud. Is this the time for me to get on the cross? So I'm going to share this with you tonight. I think it's really important. And I found it really interesting. I had a guy named David Murrow on my podcast a while back. He wrote a book that was famously popular called Why Men Hate Going to Church. And he said, you know what? <clears throat> In Islam, the more religious you are, the more of a man in that culture view you as. In Christianity, in America, the more religious you are, the less of a man they view you. And I am here to change that forever. My mission in life is to change that forever because you'll never be more of a man than the day you radically give your life to Jesus. It's the day when you decide to crawl on the cross. But most men aren't man enough to do that. And we're going to challenge that tonight a little bit. So, so there's a time for the shield, time for the sword, time to get on the cross. And I want you to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3, and I'm going to pray. And also Titus chapter 1, verse 7. It's the only two times in the Bible that these two Greek words are mentioned. Have you noticed that's a theme? A lot of these words, they're only mentioned in the two pastoral epistles. There's a reason for that. Father, thanks for this time. I'm very passionate about this subject. So I pray that you would allow my passion to become subservient to the truth of your word. Pray that you would speak to us tonight, God. There are a lot of people in this world depending on us to protect them. Our pastors depend on it. Our churches depend on it. Our communities depend on it. Our wives depend on it. Our children depend on it. And God, our friends depend on it. So God, help us to know when we should bring the sword, when we should put up the shield, when we should get on the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. So the FCM, 1 Timothy, the FCN then must not be pugnacious. How many of you have used that word lately? Me either. I don't know what that word, do you know what that word? I don't know what that word means. Pugnacious. Titus 1.7 says the th- same thing. Last week we talked about the peacemaker. Remember the peacemaker 
is the one who's coming against this guy with a chip on his shoulder, and he's solving conflict. He's either, you're either a peacemaker, a peace faker, a peace breaker. That's from last week. This week, we're going to talk about a person who's much more sinister, the pugnacious man, a.k.a. some of your translations, the violent man, a.k.a. some of your translations, the striker, a.k.a. the bully. And we're trying to understand the Greek word here and how to turn a positive spin on it. The arch enemy of the bully is the protector. So tonight is a call to stand against the bully, whether that be a person, a system, or a culture. We are called as men to stand against those things. My friend Paul Coughlin, he lives out of a Sun River. He wrote a book called um, No More Christian, Nice Guy. He also wrote a book called Free Us From Bullying. He said this, Though God hates bullying, too many Christians don't. Bullying, here's my definition of bullying. Bullying is the nefarious, repeated act of lording one's power over a weak, powerless, or naive individual. When I mean naive, I'm talking about somebody who's mentally retarded, who's physically handicapped, Somebody who's naive, autistic, on the spectrum. Jeff, you've got a kid on the spectrum. You know what I'm talking about. Somebody who deliberately, somebody who deliberately is intending to harm for no justifiable reason. I get so fired up reading this, I want to go hit somebody. It is designed to harm a person through humiliation, isolation, threat, or further abuse. Essentially, bullying is victimization without provocation. And it's power that takes forms such as physical, verbal, social, and economic power over somebody who does not have as much power of you. Many of us have been bullied in the pandemic without knowing it. You can play that one out on your own. The Greek word here for pugnacious, also translated violent and striker, is the word pleektes. Pleektes, P-L-E-K-T-E-S, pleektes. And it means violent, striker, or pugnacious. It is a person who were the, were the, 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 the chip on the shoulder guy from last week wants to use words and chip at you, chip at you. He was a master at that in basketball. It was awesome. He got a lot of people technical fouls because of his chipping. It was awesome. The bully though, is the person who uses the, is, is they, you, they, they use physical force or something to humiliate. So we've got a whole different animal here. The protector's greatest adversary or the protector's greatest enemy is the bully. So I got to tell you, this is funny. On April 15th, 2005, my life was changed in a weird way. I was invited over to Fellows Street to a garage with a bunch of dudes. Don't don't get weird. On the screen, they, they satellited in UFC 52. UFC 52, the greatest light heavyweight class in UFC, in my opinion, is the toughest class in all of UFC. UFC 52 was Chuck Liddell in the third and final match against Randy Couture. Randy Couture was one of the greatest grapplers ever. Liddell was one of the greatest strikers. They had each fought twice, twice, and Liddell won one, Couture won the other. At the time, Couture was the world champion lightweight. Chuck Liddell, by the way, his manager bought my grandparents' house in San Luis Obispo, so go figure. Chuck's from San Luis Obispo. So Chuck knocked out Couture in the first round. 
to reclaim the championship and to kind of sit on the throne and say, I'm better than you, two out of three. It was the first time I'd ever heard the word striker, striker. And that's what we're talking about here, the striker. Coming against the bully, the striker. That's what we're talking about. When we, when we look at pleptes, a.k.a. pugnacious, violent, or striker, we're looking at a person who uses force, whether that be physical, verbal, social, or economic, to control others. And bullies don't look like they used to. I mean, I see some guys online that are bullies, and in real life, I've met one of them. He's a, he's a college professor at Grand Canyon University. He's about five foot eight. He weighs about a buck twenty, and he's the biggest bully I've ever seen online. He's a Christian professor, and I'm thinking to myself, "You little pinner, you hide behind a screen and you bully people. You would never survive in the jungle, but on a computer screen, you're a big bully, which is pretty typical of a bully, right? They're gutless cowards." So when should I use a shield? Here's when I use a shield. I use a shield. When I see someone in imminent danger and I do not have any time or other option on my, at my control, and the only thing I can do is find something close to me and protect them. And sometimes I have to protect them with my body. There's nothing else I can do. I've got no option to pull the sword. Somebody's in harm's way and I've got to go be the shield. Maybe it's a little kid crossing the street and there's a car coming. Or maybe it was one of my kids when they were little in a pouring rainstorm crying, Daddy, Daddy, cover me. But there's no other thing I can do but cover them and protect them. Sometimes that's all we can do. You know, Ed, one of my favorite quotes is Edmund Burke. He said, evil prevails when good men do nothing. Sometimes, guys, listen, some of you guys, all you can do is take the hit for someone else. That's all you can do sometimes. Sometimes the best thing you can be is a shield. You want to be a sword. You want to be a hammer. But the only way you can really do anything of value sometimes is to be the nail. I wish it was true. I wish I could tell you another story. Let me give you an example for this. First of all, Isaiah 117, the Jews knew this. Isaiah 117, learn to do good, seek justice, reprove the ruthless, defend the orphan, and plead for the widow. Our organization is named after a, a quote by Teddy Roosevelt. Teddy Roosevelt read the Bible every day of his life. He went to church faithfully. As president, he, there was a big economic disaster, and people couldn't afford gas. And he walked to church every Sunday three miles. Would you want to vote for that guy? Anyway, walk to church every day for three miles. Just go to church. When he was an 18-year-old at Harvard University, he was a Sunday school teacher. He's getting ready to teach Sunday. He's a young guy. He's younger than you guys. He's an 18-year-old guy. Little kid walks in. Little eight-year-old boy. Little fourth-grade boy. Third-grade, whatever. Black eye. Roosevelt says, what happened to your eye? He says, well, on the way to church, a bully started beating up my little sister. And I got between them, and he beat me up instead. But my little sister was okay. And he gave me a black eye and a bloody lip. Teddy Roosevelt reached into his wallet, goes, good boy, gave him a dollar. The Sunday school superintendent learned that this had happened and kicked Teddy Roosevelt out of Sunday school. No longer allowed to teach Sunday school because he gave a kid a dollar for defending his little sister. I know that that's not going to ever happen at Church on the Hill. How sad is that? That little boy walked away saying, it's not okay for me to defend my little sister. It's not okay for me to be a shield, to be a wall for somebody when the bully 
stands up against him. You know, it's interesting because I wonder what Jesus would have done, right? Have you ever thought about this mild and meek and mild Jesus? In Matthew 18, Jesus himself said, can you imagine Jesus seeing this? I want you to think about Jesus in a different way a little bit. Some of you maybe think of him a little bit soft. If, I mean, he's your savior, but you're kind of like, yeah, I mean, he couldn't hang with a lineman. You know what I mean? Well, I'm going to tell you, Jesus could hang with a lineman. He could hang with anybody in this room. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better if they were grounded for a week from watching Netflix. No, he said, it would be better to tie a large millstrong around their neck and throw them in the freaking ocean. That's meek and mild Jesus. I can hang with that guy. I can hang with that guy. He knows what it's like to be a shield. So, so there's a shield that says, don't start the fight, but finish it. And sometimes you have to finish it by taking the grunt of the, the abuse. Sometimes, sometimes you have to fall on the sword for an employee. Sometimes you have to fall on the sword. That's what we're talking about here. We're saying being a shield for others. Yeah, but you may be saying this. Yeah, but... The things you're talking about, those are kind of Old Testament things. You quoted Isaiah. You know, the Bible says to turn the other cheek. Jesus also said to turn the other cheek. I mean, honestly, if you know anything about the Bible, you should be thinking that right now. Ramos, the Bible says to turn the other cheek. That is true. In the Bible, Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 42. If you don't want to look at your Bibles, just watch my fingers. You have heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your cheek, turn to him the other also. If anyone wants to sue you or take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you, and do not expect to turn away from anyone who wants to borrow from you. Nine times. Nine times. I believe Jesus is talking about you, not somebody else. Have you, when you look at the Bible, sometimes you've got to look at what's not said in there. And what's not said is others, ever. He just talks about you. And here's why. If you know anything about the Jewish people, they were fighters. They always have been. If you read the Old Testament, these are people who go to war for each other, and for they just are warriors. In that culture, it was implied that people defended each other and defended the weak. Out of 66 books in the Bible, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New, this is the only time I see this phrase, turn the other cheek. So we can't base one little passage on everything we see in Scripture. We have to take Scripture in its entirety Does that make sense? So when I'm looking at the Bible, I look at the hermeneutics of it, the whole Bible. And when I look at the whole Bible, I can't take one little verse and build my life on it. If if Ryan decides to pick a fight with me and beat the crap out of me, if I take one verse to happen, I'm in trouble. You know, Proverbs says this in Proverbs 31, 8 and 9. Speak for those who cannot speak. Ensure justice for those being crushed. Yes, speak up for the poor and hopeless and see that they get justice. So, so when should I bring the sword, right? There's a time for the shield and there's a time for the sword. Here's when I bring the sword. Based on this passage, based on what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5. 
First of all, I, God has given me this body. The Bible calls it a temple of the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians 6. We are called to steward our bodies, right? We talked about that and we talked about being moderate, okay? If you attack me for no, for no justifiable cause, I have a biblical mandate to steward my body. In other words, I'm not going to let you kill me just to kill me and to take some money out of my wallet. I will defend myself from you because God has a plan for my life, and that plan is biblical steward to steward my life well, and I will not let you take my life from me without cause. Does that make sense? So I will defend you with force. Okay? T.H. White, in one of my favorite fiction books of all time, The Once and Future King, about King Arthur, said this. There is one fairly good reason for fighting. That is if the other man starts it. When you can be perfectly certain that the other man started them, then it is time when you must have a sort of duty to stop him. This is what I'm talking about. The other time to bring the sword is not only biblical stewardship, but biblical obligation. When I see someone who is weak or powerless or helpless to defend themselves being bullied by a person or a system that is, has lordy power over them, I have a biblical mandate to protect that person. If that, even if that means coming in and stopping it with force. That's what that means. If I see, one of, if I see somebody who is weaker, like you came in with a walker, bro. You came with a walker. I see some guy kick over your walker. Bro, I got your back. Oh, I'm sure, you, I'm sure you're good to go. I'm sure you got something in that, that pullover that's going to go bang. But, but I'm just saying I got your back, right? I got your back. If something happens, you know, Ed came in smelling like gasoline. Somebody comes to light him up on fire. We got to have his back. We got to have the back. That's what we're talking about. We're coming in and we're going to bring the sword. Whether it is a thread on the internet or a random event on the street, whether it's a bully puppet, a social justice or political system, the protector stands as a sword and a shield to protect against all bullies. So I've made a strong case against the turn of the cheek passage, haven't I? I've made a strong case against that. I've made a strong case that we should be the sword, we should be the shield, depending on the situation. But we have to go back to something and really have a heart check. Because I believe there is a time to turn the other cheek, literally. And here it is, in Matthew 10, 16 to 22. Jesus said, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be as shrewd as serpents, as innocent as doves. But beware of men, for they will hand you over to the courts, scourge you in the synagogues, and you will even be brought before the governors, kings for my sake, as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they hand you over, do not worry about how or what you are to say, for it will be given to you in that hour what you, what you are to say. For it is not you who speaks, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. Listen to this last part. <clears throat> this is important. This is the gut check. You will be hated by all because of my name, but it is the one who endures to the end who will be saved. Here is my stance. Here is when a guy should get on the cross. Guys, I pray for this. I hope this for our country. I hope this. This is going to sound really demented. I've said this before. I, we're getting closer. It's going to happen. But we have to be ready 
And we have to hope for the day when your faith is tested through persecution. I'm not saying somebody going, you're a little Jesus person. I'm saying people coming after you because you're Christian. It's happening all over the world right now. But we cry because prayer is not legal in schools. I'm, I'm glad prayer is not legal in schools. I think it should be against the law. I think Christianity should be illegal. Then the real Christians are going to stand up. I know that's hard for American guys to hear, but the only way we're going to have our metal tested is if our lives are put on the, on the chopping block. I will take a punch. I will take a sword for my faith. And guys, listen, I want to be honest with you. Until you're ready to do the same, you're not worthy. Too many gutless cowards in the church who aren't willing to take the sword for Jesus. And if you're not sold out, you won't be willing to bleed out. I'm being real honest. I love that quote. I made that up myself, Jacob. Do you like that? Tertullian was a, was a, lived from 155 to 220 AD. He was a Christian author. He said this, the blood of the saints is the seed of the church. Guys, it's not about are you willing to die. It's, it's do you want to die. Dale, what's my life verse? One of my life verses. 2 Timothy 3.12, what does it say? It says, for the godly in Christ will be persecuted. 1 Peter 2.20. What credit is there when you sin and are harshly treated? You endure it with patience. But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. Guys, as men, we're protectors, we're defenders. We bring the sword, we bring the shield. But we have to be willing to get on the cross. And if we are not willing to get on the cross, anything's game. Because we've already compromised our faith. But Paul, in Galatians 2.20, said, I've been crucified with Christ. Therefore, I no longer live. But Jesus Christ now lives in me. The life I live in the flesh, I live for the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Tertullian wrote, The blood of the saints is the seed of the church. And I've got to think, he was thinking of Polycarp when he wrote it. Polycarp was an 86-year-old, 86-year-old bishop and pastor over the church of Smyrna, which is in the west coast of Turkey. During that time, Christians were being persecuted, and he was a leader in the church, so the police went after him. It was late in the evening. He's an 86-year-old dude. He's asleep in his room. He finds out the police are home at his house to arrest him. He comes downstairs. He says, hey, can I make you dinner? Make some drinks. So he makes these policemen who came to arrest this guy, he makes them, you know, coffee and donuts, whatever. Has a conversation. They tell him why they're there. He says, can I just pray? They said, yeah, we'll let you pray. So he stands up. He's 86 years old. And for two hours, his history records, he prayed this beautiful prayer for two hours. When he was done, they asked, the, the police were sitting there dumbfounded. He's serving them food. He's serving them drinks. He's praying for them. They didn't want to arrest him, but they were on orders to arrest him, so they arrested him. They take him before a guy named Herod, not the Herod in the Bible, a different guy, who challenges him to save himself, to renounce his faith. He says, no, I won't do it. So Polycarp gets handed over to the, to the uh, pro-council. They escort him into a stadium full of people, and they say, we want you to say, to renounce the atheists. The atheists at the time were the Christians. He said, he said like, he goes, I renounce the atheists. They go, you weren't, didn't mean it. You need to say it again. You need to renounce your faith. He, he said, listen, he said, I'm not going to renounce my faith. 
He followed up and he said, listen, pro-counsel, he said, 86 years I have served him. He never did me any wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? They said, we are going to send you to the wild beast. He said, call him in. It's a quote. They said, okay, we're going to burn you at the stake. He said, go light the fire. They built this huge pile of wood. They went to the stores, tore out whatever they find all this wood. Got him to the stake. History records that this 86-year-old man like ran and ran to the pile of wood. Like he was excited. Gets to the pile of wood. They go, we're going to nail your hands to the stake. He goes, no way, man. God's going to take care of me. Puts his hands behind his back. Tie me up. Tie up this 86-year-old man. Boom, light the fire. History. First of all, a voice from heaven comes down and says, be strong, Polycarp. Act like a man. And witnesses in history have recorded this voice from heaven. Fire comes up, and it's like a, a sailboat with sails surrounds him. The fire's burning all around him. He's not being consumed. They're getting pissed. So finally, a guy goes up there and stabs him. This is in history, guys. This is in history. You can look this up on Wikipedia. That's where I found this. Stabs him. He bleeds out. Wikipedia, the internet's true, and, I, and Fox News is true, and so is CNN. Okay. Stabs him. He bleeds so much, he bleeds all over the wood and puts out the fire and dies. That's how we went out. You probably won't die like that, but honestly, you should hope so. I don't want to go out having sex with my wife. That would be my second best way. I want to go out. I want to take a spear. I want to take a bullet. I want to die for my faith. That's the way I want to go out. And I've been preparing for that every day of my life so that when that day comes, I'm not going to be a gutless coward. Matthew Henry once said, it ought to be the business every day for a man to prepare for his final day. So, yeah, I'm a protector. Sometimes God will call me to be the shield and take the hits for somebody else against the bully. Sometimes God will take, ask me to bring the sword and use force. Force can be money, prayer, ministry, teaching a Sunday school class, it can be a lot of things. But to come and say, I'm going to stand and I'm going to defend another person. And it could be, for those of us who are lucky, the day God asks us to crawl up on the cross and to imitate him for us. That's a powerful day, guys. Powerful. Father, thanks for this time. Pray that you would... Uh, God, help us to be the protectors you've called us to be. Man, that, that protector just resonates with us. It resonates with the spirit of a man. God, sometimes you'll call us to use the shield. Sometimes you'll ask us to swing the sword. And God, every time you ask us if we are willing to crawl on the cross. And so, as we break up into groups, God, I pray that we'd be really honest with ourselves and God, I pray that we'd ask, a, ask this question. Is there anybody in my life who I need to bring the shield and be a wall for? Is there anyone in my life that I have not protected the way I should? Is there any cause in my life? Is there any group in my life that needs me to be the sword and come in behalf of them to ward off the wolves. It's a great day when a man discovers that. But God, it's even a better day when a man discovers the hill that he will die on for you.
that is a great day indeed. In Jesus' name, amen. What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men for around the world and find out the type of dad you are.